Welcome to Sights and Sounds, a podcast series presented each year by the Gotham Center for New York City History for Open House New York Weekend. I'm your host and the show's producer, Peter Christian Eigner, the Gotham Center's director. And this year, because COVID-19 robbed us of the many spaces normally open to the public each fall by this wonderful event, we decided on something a little different. Because we're all stuck at home instead of traipsing around this city we love, this season of Sights and Sounds focuses on locations that can't be visited anyway. Places that are long gone, that were nonetheless of great importance to New York's history. We're calling it Lost NYC. In this episode, Graham Russell Gow Hodges talks about Mother Zion, the first independent black Methodist Episcopal congregation in New York. Established by the city's African-American elite just a few years after independence from Britain, Now located in Harlem and belonging to a religious conference that boasts over 1.4 million adherents, Mother Zion was first located on a nondescript intersection of Church and Leonard Streets near the Holland Tunnel. It was not the only black church in late 18th and 19th century Gotham, nor the only important site for abolition, but its members were a major force in the city's black religious world and in New York's Underground Railroad. Its largely female membership, which cross-listed with the African Society and other benevolent groups, provided much-needed help to free blacks in the antebellum period, while its male leadership included the likes of David Ruggles, Henry Highland Garnett, James McCune Smith, and other so-called radicals who led the push for immediate abolition of slavery. Here, Hodges, a professor at Colgate University, who has published a biography of Ruggles and much else on black life in early New York City, talks about the church's legacy. To hear the rest of this series, exploring New York City's most important historical sites and organizations, visit us at GothamCenter.org or find us wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Graham Russell Gow Hodges. I'm the Langdon Professor of History and Africana Studies at Colgate University. Today, I'm going to talk to you about Mother Zion AME Church, Abolitionism and the Underground Railroad in New York City. Strollers wandering up from the World Trade Center area to shop in Soho often pass by the nondescript intersection of Church and Leonard Street. There's no obvious reason to stop there. The architecture is composed of bland office buildings. The street's often clogged with traffic from a nearby Holland Tunnel. Walkers, therefore, can be excused from realizing that here, on the southeast corner, black New Yorkers in the early 19th century established their first independent congregation, the Mother Church of the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Conference. Today, AME Zion parishioners number over 1.4 million adherents worldwide. But Mother Zion Church, a national landmark, is now located on 137th Street in Harlem. Mother Zion was central to the city's early black community. Its membership cross-listed with the African Society, the first black self-help and political organization, and later the New York African Society for Mutual Relief, as well as the Dorcas Society, which is composed of about a thousand black women, and the Phoenix Society, organized in the 1830s to establish black schools and other organizations. Mother Zion's activism extended to the New York Committee of Vigilance as well, the center of the city's vital underground railroad network in the antebellum era. It was not the only black church in 19th century Gotham, and there were numerous other important sites for abolitionism in New York City. But Mother Zion does serve as one of the most important reminders of how working class and more middling blacks 
joined forces to make New York City a major knot in the long rope of the Underground Railroad. That they did so in face of severe racism and legal oppression makes their story even more compelling. This fusion of black religion and militant abolitionism began immediately after the American Revolution, with the founding of the African Society in 1784 and Mother Organization a couple years later. Both institutions epitomized black New York's religious and revolutionary politics. By 1820, congregants of Mother Zion were able to purchase land at that site at Leonard and Church Street. The church's growth was an example of the democratization of American Christianity during the periods that historians know as the Second Great Awakening. From its fusion of radical egalitarianism, Protestant evangelicalism, and black nationalism emerged such local black founding fathers as William Hamilton, Peter Williams Sr. and Jr., and James Varick. The church had a revolutionary heritage, too. New York City was free soil during the War of Independence since the British Army, which occupied the city between 1785 and 1783, offered freedom to any enslaved person who crossed enemy lines. The British fulfilled their promise by transporting nearly 3,000 former enslaved people and free people of color to Nova Scotia, England, also to England and the rest of the globe. In a show of what might be called the spirit of 1783, black loyalists chose a constitutional monarchy over the limited democracy of the United States. As the evacuation of loyalists continued during 1783, the British and local blacks fended off nearby slave catchers, while the British commander-in-chief in North America, Sir Guy Carleton, rebuffed George Washington's demand for return of the escaped. Some of those people belonged to Washington. This period of self-emancipation constituted the largest revolt of enslaved people in North America before the Civil War. It also constituted official government support, in this case, British, for the Underground Railroad. This pursuit of liberty continued after the American Revolution. Runaway slaves in and around the city accounted for more than any other method of gaining freedom in New York, including lawsuits, self-purchase, bargaining, and the very occasional manumission. Popular black radicalism even sparked riots to defend escaped enslaved people. As New York slowly moved towards gradual emancipation in the late 18th century, the white merchants and tradespeople who made up New York's manumission society served as bankers for precious freedom papers, they defended self-emancipated bond people through legal actions, and pushed for the political end of slavery in the states. After numerous disappointments over two decades, legislators passed a Gradual Emancipation Act in 1799. This law condemned all those born before July 4th of that year to perpetual slavery but granted freedom to all newborn enslaved people in the state once the men had served or worked for their masters for 25 years and the women for 21 years. These term slaves quickly negotiated with their enslavers for earlier freedom in exchange for good service. The American Revolution thus created a much larger black population of free blacks in New York State than ever had existed in the colonial era, and from their ranks a leadership class soon emerged. Men such as James Varick, 
Thomas Simpkins, William Hamilton, George White, Peter Williams Sr. and Jr., quickly became dissatisfied with their secondary roles in white Methodist and Episcopal churches, where blacks were a significant portion of both congregations. In 1796, they walked out to form an African chapel in a shop near what became eventually the Five Points. By 1800, membership was large enough to lease lots and occupy a building at Church and Leonard Street, formally establishing Mother Zion. The church's theology, in a lot of ways, mirrored white Methodism, but espoused a staunch black nationalism and self-uplift. It was, again, not the only black church in early 19th century New York City. Other important black Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Baptist, and splinter sects also arose. But Mother Zion's message spread throughout the Northeast, allowing for greater pursuit of the Underground Railroad and the birth of its affiliates. Even before purchasing the land, Mother Zion was the site of numerous black orations, some of which celebrated the deadline for the end of the Atlantic slave trade in the new Atlantic Constitution. Peter Williams Jr., formerly a Methodist but now moving on to be the first black Episcopalian cleric, gave an oration at January 1, 1808, the first day of the moratorium. He was joined in the all-day event by Zion members William Hamilton, June Scott, and James Varick, who was the most prominent black minister in New York. They delivered opening and closing prayers. The following year, two of the three orations commemorating the end of human trafficking on the Atlantic Ocean were held at Mother Zion. Henry Sipkins spoke of black achievements in literature and contributions to civil society. William Sidney sounded a more militant note, despairing of immediate emancipation because of Southern attitudes. But the headline story here is that Mother Zion AME Church was fast becoming central headquarters for black spiritual, intellectual, and political activities, and would continue to be the site for major anniversaries and eulogies for decades to come. Black New Yorkers were a fractional part of New York State's plebiscite during this era, but for a short while appear poised to become an important one. The announcement on eight, in, in 1817 that slavery would end for all black people in the state on July 4th, 1827, 10 years later, promised that they would have an increased political presence. New York City's black population was rising. It gained up to 10,500 by 1820. But in 1821, the Constitutional Convention mandated a $250 bond for any black person who wanted to vote, stripping nearly all black New Yorkers of the franchise, during a time when nearly all unpropertied white men were gaining the suffrage. That same year, in 1817, the American Colonization Society formed with the intention of coercing free blacks to emigrate to Africa based on the elite white conviction that slavery had so debased former enslaved people that they could never become full citizens of the United States. Simultaneously, the domestic slave trades ramped up to satisfy voracious demand by cotton plantation farmers, large and small, in the Southeast and land taken from Native Americans. Slavers were eager to buy kidnapped term slaves or free blacks from the North. As a result, Kidnappers roamed the city, New York City streets, grabbing blacks and quickly forcing them on vessels bound for bondage in the South. Such adversity 
made churches like Mother Zion critically important for beleaguered black New Yorkers. The church became fully independent in 1820. James Varick rose to be the parish's first bishop that year and remained in office until his death in 1827, when Christopher Rush succeeded him and then stayed in office until 1872 at his death. The celebration on July 5, 1827, ending slavery in New York State, culminated at the institution. William Hamilton delivered an oration that praised the end of slavery, lauding national white heroes like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and beseeching self-uplift. Black women who constituted the largest portion of Mother Zion's membership partnered with such groups as the New York Manumission Society and the Dorcas Society uh, to help with various means of self-uplift. For example, to provide clothing for the students at the African Free School, which is fast becoming the leading educational institution for black New Yorkers. But self-uplift was not the only message at Mother Zion. The parish was an avid site for abolitionism. It was the home of Freedom's Journal, the nation's first black newspaper and an avid advocate for abolitionism. As black abolitionists in the city radicalized in the late 1820s, they returned again and again to speak and to meet at Mother Zion, and the church mirrored the rising militancy of the New York City's black population. By 1830, nearly 14,000 free blacks lived in Manhattan, the vast majority of whom lived in the 5th and 6th wards on the west side, just above Chamber Street. Mother Zion was one of a number of black churches in the neighborhood, anchoring a vital, youthful activist community. Young black Methodists were inspired by David Walker's appeal, by Nat Turner's rebellion in 1831, and the rise of what became called immediatism, or the demand to end slavery right now. Black anti-slavery leaders, such as Alexander Cromwell, Henry Highland Garnett, James McCune Smith, and David Ruggles, organized and held black conventions, some which sometimes met at Mother Zion. Ruggles, who was the prototypical black activist, journalist of the age, first encountered the person who became Sojourner Truth after switching over from the Spring Street Presbyterian to Mother Zion, where they were worshipped. Black parishes, however, encountered violent opposition. Racists, hoping to drive out black New Yorkers, attacked several churches in a riot during July of 1834. Although it was openly anti-slavery and anti-racist, Mother Zion did not suffer as much damage as St. Philip's Episcopal Church, the Clapham Chatham Street Chapel, or Spring Street Presbyterian, all of which were destroyed, but renovations took a number of years. A fire in 1839 caused further losses, but the church survived unbowed. Peter Williams, Jr. was forced by his Episcopal Bishop, Benjamin Onderdonk, to relinquish for abolitionist activities, but he continued to help abolitionists covertly. In 1835, radical abolitionists, including David Ruggles, formed the New York Committee of Vigilance, which used what they called practical abolitionism to combat slave catchers, help runaways secure freedom, and stop illegal slave traders who secreted into New York City's harbor. Runaways were sheltered at Mother Zion, a few blocks away from Ruggles' home at Lisbonard and Church Street, only about four blocks away and his dwelling contained an abolitionist lending library and a bookstore. It served as well as the headquarters for the Vigilance Committee. 
Ruggles edited the Mirror of Liberty, the nation's first black magazine there, and helped, by his accounting, over 600 escaped slaves on their way to liberty in New England, upstate New York, and Canada. On September 3, 1838, he saved a frightened fugitive from Maryland, taking him into his home, hosting his marriage to his fiancée, and then forwarding the couple to New Bedford, Massachusetts, armed with a letter of introduction and a $5 bill. That fugitive became Frederick Douglass. The great abolitionist began his career in New Bedford as a class leader, school superintendent, clerk, exhorter, and licensed local preacher at the Zion Church in New Bedford. The Vigilance Committee enrolled over a thousand black women to fundraise and to act as eyes and ears on the street, watching for kidnappers and slavers hunting human prey. One New York City abolitionist was Mariah Stewart, who had recently moved from Boston, where she had stirred controversy with public political statements and penned the first explicitly black female political poetry. Stewart belonged in Boston to Samuel Snowden's West Cedar Street AME Church, but Larry likely worshipped Mother Zion in New York City. Black Methodists, like those at Mother Zion, were frequently involved in New York City's anti-slavery society, too. And the Vigilance Committee continued to help fugitive slaves throughout the 1840s, relying in part on the wide, expansive network of AME churches in the northern states. Mother Zion was one of several churches that welcomed Frederick Douglass when he returned as a free man from England in 1847. Through the Zion Church, Douglass made contact with Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Jermaine Logian, and William Howard Day. He credited uh, Logian and Henry Highland Garnett with introducing him to John Brown. Bishop Rush met Douglas there, too. Zion connections really mattered. In 1850, President Millard Fillmore signed legislation beefing up the Fugitive Slave Act first passed in 1793. The new law mandated that white Americans everywhere assist in the capture and rendition of self-emancipated enslaved people. Defiance of the law warranted a $1,000 fine and or substantial jail time. Worsening matters was a clause that paid magistrates $10 for condemning an accused fugitive slave, but only $5 for acquitting them. No local law was allowed to negate the act. This law infuriated northern whites, who rejected the mandate that they help arrest self-emancipated people. Many black northerners fled the country for security in Canada. Those who stayed behind declared open defiance of the hated law. The first test case occurred in New York City in 1850. Eight days after Fillmore signed the measure, two deputy U.S. marshals arrested a New York City porter named James Hamlet, who had escaped from his Baltimore enslaver in 1848 and now lived with his family in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. The enslaver, Mary Brown, hired slave catchers to arrest Hamlet and bring him back to Maryland. After a rapid proceeding in a commissioner's office, Hamlet was returned to Maryland within a day of his arrest. He claimed, however, that Brown had promised to manumit him for $800, a statement which was supported by the enslaver's son-in-law. Initially, they were caught aware, but very quickly, 2,000 members of New York City's black community gathered at AME Zion Church on Church Street to fundraise for Hamlet's release. His purchased salvation happened quickly 
with assistance from leading white merchants and journalists. Galvanized, the local black community organized marches against the Fugitive Slave Act. Veteran Underground Railroad leaders like Louis Napoleon and Charles B. Ray of the New York State Vigilance Committee and William Powell, a long-term black abolitionist, assembled with thousands of New Yorkers at City Hall Park to hear Mayor Caleb Woodhull declare that the municipal government would no longer cooperate with slave catchers. The Vigilance Committee continued its work throughout the 1850s, often gaining assistance from Mother Zion Church. During that decade, Frederick Douglass and William Harriet Tubman spoke at the church and secured funds for the anti-slavery and underground railroad causes across the nation. During the Civil War, AME Zion extended its reach to southern states, thereby advancing the powerful anti-slavery egalitarian messages espoused by James Varick and Christopher Rush and their Mother of Zion parishioners decades before in New York City. 1895, Frederick Douglass's funeral was observed at Zion churches in Washington, D.C. and Rochester, New York, events that in large part flowed from the establishment of the faith of this little forgotten southwest corner at Church and Leonard Street in New York City. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sights and Sounds. Be sure to check out the rest of the series, available wherever you get podcasts. And visit us at GothamCenter.org to learn more about all of our programming here at the Gotham Center for New York City History. Post-production for this season was provided by Garrett Tiedemann for Citizen Racecar. Special thanks to Dina Ecker and Jessica George for their help in the making of this episode. I'm your host and the show's producer, Peter Christian Eigner, director of the Gotham Center for New York City History, at the Graduate Center, City University of New York. Be safe, everyone.